Hey, good morning. Welcome to Journey Church. Good to see you. Hope you're having a great uh, Christmas season and uh, enjoying, enjoying the blessings of the Lord. Uh, it's good to be here this morning. I was chatting with uh, Bob Schwan, our great uh, lead pastor. I asked him if he'd gotten in his uh, ratio of hugs this morning. I figure he's, he's, his goal is somewhere around 65. And uh, keep in mind that I'm a German Scandinavian, so my idea of a hug is a hand wave at five feet. And uh, so uh, Bob's a great inspiration to me. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I had a chance to talk to chat with uh, Chris Townley. I was asking him what a guy my age should be reading just to keep my heart and spirit fresh. And he gave me two books. So apparently he thinks I need some refreshing. So anyway, that was a good conversation. I hope you drop by uh, JJ and Randy's uh, table after church. Uh, Marcy and I are supporters of them and have a lot of confidence in their ministry and uh, believe it's a great uh, kingdom building enterprise. We're uh, in the middle of a series of uh, messages on Jesus' coming. And this morning the theme is Jesus' coming to forgive sins. So let's read from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. Ephesians chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless, in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace which he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. God is coming to forgive sins. The scripture tells us that the heart, the core, the absolute foundation of the kingdom of God is love. When Jesus was asked for a Reader's Digest condensed version of everything he was coming to do and say, he said, sure, I'll give it to you. It is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, and all of your mind, and to love others as yourself. This is the heart of the kingdom of God. He said, upon this hangs all the law and the gospels. If love is the foundation of the kingdom of God, then relationship is its highest value. Let me say that again. If love is the foundation of the kingdom of God, then relationship 
is its highest value. In 2 Peter, Peter writes these words, creating an exclusive list. He said, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance. And then he tops out that list with three terms that are all about relationship. And to perseverance, goodness, which is right relationship with God and others, brotherly kindness, and love. That the highest mark of Christian maturity is actually how we navigate relationships, our relationship with the Lord and our relationship with other people. And so we see over and over in the New Testament, Jesus just spilling out forgiveness as if it is, as, as if, as if it is sloshing around out of a bucket to every, to every person he, he met. So we have an account, for example, of Jesus who was confronted because the uh, Jewish leaders had caught a woman in the very act of adultery. They drug her before Jesus and they began to challenge him about his judgment upon this woman. He finally said, well, he that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. The crowd began to slowly drift away. And then the Bible tells us it was just him and her. And in that moment, when Jesus gazed at this woman caught in this very humiliating place in her life, he said, where are your accusers? Then he said, neither do I condemn you. Just don't, don't do this again. This isn't good for you. This is like poison. Don't do this again. But we can look at even the greatest Christian leaders. So there's Peter. Peter had a three strikes and you're out kind of day. It was near the end of Jesus' life. Jesus says, now I want you to gather with me. I am in travail as I face the cross. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, would you tarry with me? Then he takes three of them even further into the garden. Peter, James, and John says, would you stand with me in this hour? And Peter immediately falls asleep. Now the guards begin to come to take Jesus away. Peter, responding again in the spirit, pulls out a knife and cuts a guard's ear off. Jesus had to be thinking, ah, not today. That's to put the ear back on and heal him. Now, so now, Peter's outside of the judgment hall. He's already told Jesus, you don't have to worry about me. This, this man knew himself. You don't have to worry about me. Though everyone else forsake you, you can count on me. And while Jesus is in the judgment hall, Peter, just as Jesus predicted, denies him three times. Jesus steps out of that hall, glances at Peter. The Bible says Peter went away weeping, full of sorrow. Not only that, that Jesus is hung on a cross and now he dies and now Peter can't even fix it. And so when Jesus rises again and some people see that he's risen, he says to them, now go tell the others and Peter. Make sure you tell Peter. And aren't, aren't there not days when all of us can hear the message, God wants to forgive us all, but we need to know that at the end of that sentence, we hear our name. Because there is a weight that we're carrying 
There is an offense that we know we've committed and we need to hear. Go tell everybody, but particularly tell. And our name is at the end of that sentence. The reality is that the Christian message swims in the atmosphere of forgiveness. God forgiving us, us forgiving others. Now, I grew up where that wasn't always the case. I grew up where on my dad's side of the family, and a lot of them were touchy people. They never quite knew. My dad would go to town, and Williston, he'd come home. Yeah, yeah, he says, I saw Barney in town. He was walking down the other side of the road, but he was too good to talk to me. But, yeah, that's right, Dad. That's right. When he got in the car to go to Williston that day, he says, you know, if I see Stace Long, I'm going to make sure that I don't talk to him. In fact, if I see him on the street, I'm going to gaze into all the storefronts so he doesn't even see me looking at him. He just designed his life around that idea. I am going to offend Stace Long. I got a lot of family that's like that. I take after my mother's side. (laughs) So I grew up on a farm a quarter of a mile from my dad's oldest brother. My dad lived to 86, and in their latter years, those two men who had farmed together and lived together should have been having coffee. They should have been talking about farming with the old machinery and the horses and all the things they had in common. And for the last 15 years of their lives, until the last week of my uncle's life, they had not spoken for 15 years. And that shrivels our soul. If we have a Savior who is righteous and who died righteously and he pours out forgiveness, surely we must make that part of the core of who we are as well. And not only simply forgive, which is releasing other people from our judgment, releasing them from our expectation. Not only should that be something we do, we ought to be eager to do it that we want to be forgiving people. You can go into the Old Testament and study. Uh, if you want to read a whole book of the Bible so that if somebody says, hey, did you have your devotions today? He says, yeah, I read a whole book. Uh, Obadiah, one chapter, 21 verses. You can tell people you read a whole book of the Bible this morning. <laughs> Obadiah was a prophet and his prophecy was to Edom. Now, who were the Edomites? You remember the story of Jacob and Esau? in the early part of the Old Testament, they were brothers. And Esau felt like Jacob had wronged him and deceived him out of his birthright. What do you, ever, what do you suppose ever happened to Esau's relatives? They became Edomites. Those were the descendants of Esau. And you know what? They never forgot that Jacob did them wrong. They remembered it. When Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, they appealed to the Edomites to be allowed to go through the land, but the Edomites refused to allow them to go through their land. So they had to go around Edom because the Edomites were not going to give an inch to the descendants of Jacob. And when Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians were destroying Jerusalem, 
and women and children were fleeing from the city. The Edomites positioned themselves around the city, gathered up these refugees and gave them to the Babylonians, knowing that they would be going into slavery. And then, in the end of Obadiah, the Lord comes to them and says, that's it. And that nation disappeared from the face of the earth. A nation destroyed by bitterness. Destroyed by the refusal to forgive. And so the Lord tells us in this Christmas season, Jesus has come to forgive. And that we have no more, no act that is more like Jesus than we choose, when we choose to forgive other people. We are never more like our Savior than when we choose to forgive others. Now let's look at three briefly. Now we got 17 minutes left. I've been preaching for 47 years. I don't mean continuously, but I mean, I've been... And uh, I've developed this, uh, this law that when you get to holidays where people's lives are full, sermons should become simpler and shorter. So we will be done on time. I was preaching recently on the return of Christ at a church and I said now the Bible tells us in the New Testament that there are seven things we ought to do if we believe in the return of Christ but it's near Christmas so we're only going to look at three of them not only you but I don't need a seven point sermon on the return of Christ so we're going to look at just three number one being forgiven allows us to live a blameless life blameless does not mean perfect performance. It means right relationship. And there is a world of difference. You and, it, you and I can be in relate, right relationship with another person. For example, in right relationship with our spouse without performing perfectly in all the areas of our life. And somehow Satan, the accuser of the brethren, has convinced us that blameless means perfect performance. I've been reading through, finishing up reading through all the biographies in my library. I had about 40 secular and about 40 religious biographies, and uh, I'm on the last one right now. And uh, let me tell you something I learned. So I'm reading about some of the greatest Christians God has ever used, who through their lives, God has accomplished some of the greatest things he's ever accomplished. A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer was a pastor in Chicago. He, uh, he was a Christian mystic. His books are still in print. The Knowledge of the Holy, many other books. He traveled all over the United States. Christians everywhere wanted to hear what A.W. Tozer said. You know, A.W. Tozer didn't really like people. He'd show up just before the sermon so he didn't have to shake hands with anybody. Like, Bob Schwann could have given him a tutorial <laughs> on how to greet people. And then when he was done preaching, he would leave the platform by the back door so he didn't have to greet anybody at the end of the sermon. He was so notorious for avoiding people that uh, he traveled. 
He traveled all over the United States speaking, but he didn't drive. So when he would fly into Chicago, an elder from his church would have to pick him up and take him back to the church. And one day, an elder from the church picked him up at the airport to take him back to the church. That route always went by a hospital. And the elders mentioned, as they were going by the hospital, that another elder in the church had had just a very minor surgery, but was in that hospital. Tozer said absentmindedly, well, I, I don't know, I suppose, I suppose we should stop. And so they did. They pulled over and they stopped. They go up to this guy's room, and when Tozer came around the corner of the door, the guy looked up, saw Tozer, and said, what are my doctors not telling me? <laughs> Amy Carmichael started a home in Bangalore, India for girls that were being sold into temple prostitution. She saved hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of young women in her lifetime. One of the greatest works you will ever read about. Elizabeth Elliot talks about the massive impact of Amy Carmichael's life on her life. It's funny though that Amy Carmichael often said, well, you can go ahead and get married, but I don't see that it should have any, it should interfere in any way with your work for the Lord. So she didn't give much attention to the, to the uh, attention that marriage takes. And then she came out one day and said, she, she, Amy Carmichael, she really didn't like men at all. She thought most of them were weak and uh, did not have a lot of perseverance in their spirit and would much rather work with women than men. Just, well, did God know this? Or John and Charles Wesley. The greatest move of the Holy Spirit since the book of Acts was Methodism across the United States. John Wesley was the founder of Methodism. Created a discipleship model that is still being used today, hundreds of years later. A man of massive kingdom impact. But he never knew how to get along with women. So he got engaged to a woman in Georgia when engagement was a much bigger legal thing than it is now and didn't know how to get out of it, so he hopped on a boat and went back to England. He got back to England and he found another person, another woman he wanted to marry, and Charles thought it was such a poor choice. Now, this is his brother, thought it was such a poor choice that he talked to her and suggested this other man that might want to date her and actually got her to start dating this other guy and she married this other guy and John got so mad at Charles that he didn't even talk to him for months. And in, in order to prove Charles wrong, he married a woman who at one point, because John was not a big man, actually drug him across the floor by his hair. Proving Charles to be right. <laughs> the one time in, in London, the greatest preachers of London were Charles Spurgeon and Joseph Parker. Thousands of people came to see these two men preach. But you know on the side, they kind of snipped at each other. They each had a magazine and they'd write, they'd write things in their magazine that the others knew was focused on them like like Charles Spurgeon liked to smoke cigars. And Joseph Parker thought that smoking cigars was sin. So he'd write little comments in his magazine about smoking cigars, and he once challenged Spurgeon. He said, you know, your smoking cigars is going to get out of hand. And Spurgeon says, when my smoking cigars gets out of hand, I'll stop. 
Joseph Parker said, how do you know when it's out of hand? Well, he says, when I'm smoking two cigars at once. (laughs) But Joseph Parker liked to go to live theater, which Spurgeon thought was wrong. So Spurgeon would write little articles about going to live theater. And here are the two greatest preachers in London, whose books are still in print today, snipping at each other over smoking a cigar and going to live theater. Now, why am I talking about that? Because Satan comes to you and tells you again and again of why you are disqualified because of some flaw or shortcoming or struggle in your life. Satan, the accuser of the brethren, says, this can't be for you because look at this. Blameless is right relationship, not perfect performance. And when I live forgiven, I am able not to camp by my shortcomings, not to camp by my failures. I am able to move on to a new day and a new dawn and leave behind so that Paul says, forgetting what is behind, I press forward for the prize of the high calling I have in Jesus Christ. Now there's a second thing, and that is it enables me to live adopted into his family. This passage of scripture says, when I am forgiven, I become part of the family of God. I'm part of Christ's family. And because I'm part of Christ's family, I have traits that are his traits. They're his family traits. And now they're my family traits. Now at 67, my mom died a few months ago and my dad a few years before that. I'm more reflective about my family of origin and how it's impacted me and the values I have. And uh, how, it, how it affects my identity. Who, who am I? If I'm along, who am I? If I'm a person who names the name of Christ, who am I? Our son uh, Nolan moved to help his company move to uh, Johnson City, Tennessee for a year. He's a project manager for hospital construction. And we went over to help that move just a couple months ago. And we got over there and realized that uh, Dollywood was only an only a hour away. Now, Marcy and I like theme parks. God called us both to do some ministry at Disneyland two weeks ago. And uh, <laughs> thousands came to Christ. <laughs> uh, and uh, so we took one day off and we went to Dollywood. And... Uh, Dollywood's in the Great Smoky Mountains, real wooded and hilly, and, uh, and we had a great time. It, it has a number of unique features. It's got a lot of musical venues because it was started by Dolly Parton, the country music singer, and then she wanted to highlight the, where she grew up, and so there's a ravine, wooded ravine with uh, little craft shops on both sides of the ravine because it's highlighting skills that the people in those mountains have been been doing for hundreds of years so like there was one little booth where the guy's actually making dulcimers and uh, very very innovative uh, setting and then there's a number of thrill rides and we like rides and so here's a ride it looked like a old uh, gas station then you went in and wound your way around to the ride and we thought we'll go on this ride we we should have noticed the name 
when the name of the ride is Lightning Rod. But we blew right by that and wound around. And then you come to this place where you can't go any further until you give them every item that is not attached to your body. <laughs> Purse, coat, hat, anything. You can't, you can't go on the ride if you have, that should have been another. But no, we gave them all. They put them in this bin. And then you come around another corner and there are the cars you're going to ride in. Except they're not cars, like the seats aren't like flat, like they're buckets. And you, you sit in it, you sit way down in it. And then like a roller coaster where this bar comes over your shoulders, except this bar came over your shoulders, across your chest, and then continued down past your knee, between your knee and your ankle. The bar again went, and then there's these two things to hold on to. And we sit way down in this bucket and this big bars come over us and there's two hands. I looked over at Marcy and I said, too late. <laughs> so then the thing's gonna take off and it just takes off quietly and it goes around this corner and then you just shoot up 30,000 feet. Just boom. And it just feels like you're going absolutely straight up. And we're, we're on this incline, I think, it's got to come down. And you top this, I mean, it comes down as steep as it went up. And when you top that thing, you're just in thin air. And I just, it felt like, like Fast and Furious, those slow motion scenes where at some point, all the pieces are just going to slowly come apart and you're going to be launched out. And it starts coming down. And then for the next 30 seconds... We were on what is the most frightening physical experience of my life. <laughs> Upside down, round and around, just, it, I saw Jesus. <laughs> it was just unbelievable. And we came back down and it's pulled up and it stopped. And we looked at each other and we didn't talk. <laughs> we, it was just... We really, we really weren't the same the rest of the day. I mean, it was... Uh, I tell you that for this reason. Number one, I got off that and I thought about that right a while and I thought, if I'm really going to be a follower of Jesus, every once in a while, I got to let Jesus ask me to do something that's going to scare me. Following Christ isn't about having a security blanket all over one arm waiting for Jesus to come. I got to be willing to let Jesus ask me to do something that's going to scare me. But here's the other thing. That I actually come, when I thought back to my father and my grandfather, I come from an adventurous family. That's part of the nature of our family. Now, granted, I'm more comfortable on Pirates of the Caribbean than I am on Lightning Rod, but nevertheless... My immediate family's adventuresome. Nolan's moving to Tennessee and Nathan's living in Beijing, China. And adventuresomeness is part of the identity of my family. And there are traits about Christ that if we're adopted into his family become part of our family traits and forgiveness is one of them. That we are eager to forgive. 
And the last one is this. It helps us develop a life that deflects honor to another. One of the acts of maturity is the ability to deflect, not only the ability, but the desire to deflect honor to other people. Husbands and wives who are eager to talk about their spouse. Parents who are eager to deflect honor to their children. That their children aren't simply some kind of tool to bring them honor, but rather to def- they deflect honor to their kids. So that whether the kids are in sports or debate team or in some other type of endeavor, the parent is eager to find reasons to deflect honor to their children. Now, in 47 years, I've been involved in a lot of weddings. And one of the things that's always uh, intrigued me is that some parents are so emotionally ill that they use weddings to attract attention to themselves instead of deflecting it to their, to their children. I never understood that. They, what? Some mother will, will be in some corner having a little pout in order to make sure that the bride spends her time over there giving attention to mom. I mean, I, I know a mom who showed up at the wedding wearing black because she didn't like the guy that her daughter was marrying. I said, who does that? (laughs) John 17, Jesus says to his father, glorify your son that I may glorify you. In Colossians, the, the scripture that was up when we were giving our offerings this morning, it says behave as representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ. Forgiveness allows us to let go of ourselves and focus on other people. So while we were taking care of our grandkids down in Tennessee, we made one other little trip. They weren't far from Asheville, North Carolina. And if you know anything about Asheville, Asheville is where Billy and Ruth Graham came from. And uh, Billy Graham in the 20th century is the most famous Christian in, was the most famous Christian in the world. Billy Graham preached the gospel in person to more people than any other human being on earth. And he's just about 100 years old now, lives and is cared for by a nurse in his home just out of Asheville, North Carolina. We thought, well, since we were that close, we were gonna go out to the Cove, which is the retreat and training center that Billy and Ruth Graham built just outside of uh, Asheville, North Carolina. And if you see any pictures of it, always the picture will be this chapel in the woods with this tall steeple. So we drove out there, and the guy's going to give us this tour. We're standing outside of that chapel, and he's explaining how the chapel was built, and then he starts talking about this steeple. Now, the steeple is way out of shape for the chapel. It's way bigger in proportion than than typically you would expect the steeple to be. He says, have you noticed the size of this steeple? I said, yeah, actually, I did notice the size of the steeple. And then a cross on top. Well, he said, this chapel was designed and built. The last thing to be done was to put the steeple on. And a big semi-truck came with the steeple. And uh, Ruth Graham showed up to watch the big cranes putting the steeple on this chapel. And uh, she looked at it and she said, the steeple's not big enough. Still laying on the truck. She said, What do you mean? Well, it's not big enough. It needs to be a bigger steeple. 
Well, they had the big crane there. They said, well, how, how do you want the steeple to go? So they, they started lifting the arm of the crane up and it went up and then up and then up and up and almost as high as it could go. She's there, there, that's, that's how high I want the steeple. So the truck, truck had to take the steeple away. They build a new steeple. So now the, the, the new, much larger steeple shows up and Ruth Graham's there and they're putting this massive steeple with a cross on top of the chapel. And nobody had thought to ask her until that day someone said, why, why do you want a steeple so high? She said, because I want the people who are driving by on the interstate to be able to see the cross over the trees. The most famous Christians in the world still deflecting glory to their Savior. And when you are free, when you are forgiven, you are able to deflect glory, to let it wash over other people until people seek your company because of that sense of honor and release they feel when they are in your presence. And so Jesus is coming to bring us forgiveness so we can live a blameless life, be adopted into his family, and deflect glory and honor to him. Well, let's set our things aside and bow our heads, if you would, with me. With their heads bowed in prayer and eyes closed, this is an opportunity for us. If you come in here and you carry the weight, the weight of unforgiveness, the weight of sin, in a room this size, some of us have come from that place today into this room. Jesus wants to roll that weight away and bring you forgiveness. I'm going to pray a prayer in three parts. And you can just pray that prayer in your own words after me in each section and find the forgiveness that Jesus brings. You can start by just telling the Lord, Lord, I'm sorry. I've been carrying around this weight and i am not talked to you about it. I'm sorry that I've been living independent of you, making my own choices. I'm sorry that I've sinned. And I've not brought that sin to you. And you just tell the Lord how you grieve this morning, the sorrow you carry. Just let the Lord know how you feel. And you can say, God, I thank you that Jesus Christ died on a cross so I could be free. Jesus died so I could be forgiven. That the weight I walked into this room with, I can walk out without that weight because of Jesus. I thank you that Jesus loves me. Jesus knows me by name. And Jesus cares that I'm forgiven. can express that confidence 
that appreciation of Jesus as your Savior this morning. You do that while we wait. The Bible says, Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. If anyone opens that door, I will come in. And I will have fellowship with them and they with me. Right now you can say, Lord Jesus, I open the door of my heart. I'm opening it right now. I invite you into my heart. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. And forgive my sin. And give me release. And let me walk out with a light heart and a free spirit through Jesus Christ. You can invite him in right now. Just open the door of your heart and invite him in and tell him that. For those of us who've asked Jesus into our heart, if you've opened that door, will you take a moment their heads bowed and just thank him say Lord thank you for hearing my prayer thank you that when I opened that door you came in thank you for moving me from death to life helping me cross the line of faith just express your gratitude to the Lord right now with our heads bowed and eyes closed we're not looking around but just to honor the Christ who has brought you from death to life who has helped you cross the line of faith who has forgiven you of your sins will you just thank and honor him with our heads bowed in prayer by just lifting your hand up and putting it down and say I ask Jesus into my heart today to forgive me you just lift your hand up and put it down Lord we're grateful that we have a savior eager to forgive us full of grace and mercy. For these who slip their hands up, I pray that you will rush some physical confirmation to them that will remind them that the decision they made today was real, that you heard it, that you've come into their heart, that you've given them new life. Thank you for your kindnesses to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.